Hi everyone, this is Peter Ray Anson here from Geek Pride and we're giving a one-off special podcast with the roleplay developer, um, freelancer and general other nice guy, Matthew Dawkins. Matthew, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm doing very well, thank you, Peter. It's wonderful to be back on Geek Pride. Uh, I've enjoyed each time I've been here and yeah, uh, very happy to be here to talk about an upcoming game. Yeah, because I know you're, because um, you are obviously the line developer for the Came From series of role-playing games by Onyx Path. Um, yeah. How did that come about exactly? Uh, well, I came up with the initial idea for They Came From Beneath the Sea, which was the, the uh, B-movie-inspired role-playing game uh, that largely handles 1950s sci-fi B-movie trash uh, in a role-playing game wrapper and it can be as horrific or as comedic as you like more people play it comedically than horrifically but the basically the system can account for either and it did well uh, and well enough that we started doing uh, we started making they came from beyond the grave which is our 1970s Hammer Horror, Amicus, Roger Corman-inspired horror movie game. And uh, upcoming, uh, we have... They came from Camp Murder Lake, which is 1980s slasher movies. That's that's an expansion to be on the grave rather than its own core book. And further to that, coming in March, we uh, that's the plan anyway, we've got a crowdfunding campaign... Uh, due for a double feature, which is going to be they came from Classified. Classified is our spy movie, espionage movies, with a bit of a wider range in terms of timeline, I guess anywhere from the 1950s to probably the late 80s, sort of end of Roger Moore era uh, of Bond. And uh, they came from the Cyclops' Cave, which I co-developed with Michele Masala, uh, which is covering fantasy movies up until they got good, basically. Uh, so it goes everywhere from like the Seven Voyages of Sinbad, Clash of the Titans, and Jason and the Argonauts, all the way through to Sword and Sorcery, stuff like Kroll, and The Sword and the Sorcerer, and Conan. I guess Conan the Barbarian's a good fantasy movie, but we stopped short of Lord of the Rings because that's actually very good. <laughs> you know, that's widely acclaimed. Anything else before that has a certain air of ham and cheese to it um and we like to put that in our games yeah i mean that, there's a lot to unpack here because i mean like just looking at the entire series as a whole there are very widely tonal differences between the what even like though they came from beneath the sea to beyond the grave yeah know, very much so yeah it's like the beyond the grave like the 70s horror was genuinely scary when things like hammer horror and all that whilst the 50s is to put this politely, less so. So how did you kind of blend those tonal changes into the system? Well, I'd say Beyond the Grave is the hardest one to write, or has been the hardest one to write, to be honest. Uh, so Beneath the Sea, you could go quite overtly camp and wooden, uh, because a lot of the Edward-style features of the era were B-movies, and therefore they weren't made at high budgets. They were made with not terribly good actors or scripts uh, not you know some of them are classic some of them do stand up but a lot of them don't and so that was very easy to write in a tongue-in-cheek way um 
Count Myrtle Lake, who can make it a bit sexy and tongue-in-cheek as well in a different kind of way because it's 1980s, lots of teenagers running around at a camp before they get killed, that sort of thing. Um, Classified has an air of innuendo. I would say tonally it's closer to The Avengers, the TV series, than to Bond. And although there's a bit of, I guess, Austin Powers in there as well. And Cyclops' Cave, you can go full ham with... Um, the kind of rich and ridiculous dialogue that existed in fantasy movies, especially of the 80s, uh, the sort of masters of the universe uh, kind of monologues that are utter drivel, but entertaining to watch. But then you've got Beyond the Grave, which is an odd one, because it's the least ostensibly funny, as you say. It's uh, Some 1970s horror movies are actually scary, and yet... I would say where we went for Beyond the Grave, and we love all of these movies, you know, we're not doing this to ridicule them, it's a homage, if you like, or a tribute to them, is with Beyond the Grave, there's more ham and there's more out there sort of uh, blood and violence effects. There's a bit of exploitation to those kinds of movies, you know, that that was the era of the exploitation movie. And so you don't play it so much that everyone in the game is completely hopeless. You more sort of play that the world around them is more turned up. It's, uh, it, it's more vibrant, it's more colourful, it's just frankly, yeah, it's horror in Technicolor. And it's the first time horror gets to go in Technicolor, really, in the 1970s. Uh, so you, you lean into that part of what makes those horror movies amusing more than trying to say Christopher Lee was bad at playing Dracula, because he wasn't, you know, Christopher. Peter Cushing, um, Britt Eklund, all of the sort of Hammer Horror staples were very good at what they did. But that didn't mean the sets didn't wobble. And it didn't mean they weren't repeating the same plots but from movie to movie, or that the blood didn't look bright red, uh, probably so that censors wouldn't shut it down. But, you know. Uh, so you're right, it, it can be challenging jumping from book to book because you do have to hit a precise tone for each one and Beyond the Graves the one that has given me the most doubts in a way as a developer uh, when I was working on it but it's also in many ways the one I'm proudest of because it was very hard to find that tone and not just be a horror game not just be a slapstick comedy game because these movies weren't slapstick comedy what were your doubts of Beyond the Grave exactly uh, that we could make it like uh, they came from. I mean, it was only the second get they came from game, and by the sounds of it now, having reeled a bunch of them off, uh, there's quite a line of them coming. And I guess with Beneath the Sea, I was very comfortable with the idea of marrying up comedy and horror. But with Beyond the Grave, I started... I felt concerned at first, partly for myself, that... Uh, it wouldn't be taken seriously as a horror game if it was made too comedic. Uh, and and at the same time, I was really looking at, I guess, the cigarettes stained, uh, everything's a bit of sepia brown um, feel of the 1970s. When I first outlined it, it was a lot grungier. It was more like a um, recent movie like Barbarian Sound Studio or Censor. 
in the sense that you actually went into this thinking oh this is this is grungy this is grimy this is horrible horror and then i had to pull back and realize well this isn't a they came from game at that point and in fact it is more because it's more challenging to add elements of humor to a game like that it's probably more worthwhile doing it so i had doubts that my ability and you know the team who were on it their ability to manage it but i think they did by the end of it i feel confident that we did by the end of it but it was the one i've had the most i guess uh anxiety over in its early early stages yeah one thing what i found interesting is that these aren't horror games per se like it's not like call of cthulhu horror it's more like it's um a role-playing game about a certain era or cinematic history that that it's recreating yeah yeah Uh, i mean cyclops's cave breaks that mold somewhat because fantasy movies it kind of spans the map movies all the way from the 1930s um and sort of ray harry house and stuff all the way through as i say to hercules azena that sort of that where fantasy on tv got uh i guess somewhat prolific and very cheesy with it but most of the they came from games are era locked in tone even though the games themselves aren't restricted they don't say don't use mobile phones in these games or anything like that it just because they are trying to emulate the feel of a particular kind of movie uh, a lot of those movies, while they weren't perfectly confined to a decade, have a feel of a decade to them. So as well as trying to hit the right uh, genre of comedy, horror, whatever it happens to be, you are also trying to evoke a certain flavour that comes from, as you say, an era that you have in mind. Um and sometimes that can be, you know, that might be fun and swinging 60s and everyone driving around in high-speed chases and open-top cars like in They Came From Classified. Uh, it's a spy feature, but it's still silly. You're probably going to shoot someone and you won't see any blood, for instance. Um, whereas, yeah, uh, something like Beyond the Grave, which is out to buy, you can buy that on Drive RPG now, is... Um, very different and i guess getting some of that 1970s into it makes it i hope makes it distinct makes it feel unlike any other horror game because there are lots of lots of good horror games out there and you know some of them new some of them like uh you know alien very very good very themed obviously around the subject of its title um the vampire the masquerade it's a classic horror game where you're playing the monster and in terms of games where you're playing humans in monstrous situations you've got games like dead of night uh which i believe is still available it may even have a new edition now or um, you know, all, all kinds of things, but I don't think any of them have really tried to say, we want this to be a Hammer Horror style game. We are paying tribute to a certain kind of movie. And when you're at the table, if you're fans of those movies, or even if you are just fans of the idea of those kinds of movies, you can play it and hopefully feel somewhat like you are playing in you're, you're playing characters in that kind of setup and the wonderful thing is you don't have to be good role players to do it because we sort of go with the idea that pretty much every movie we emulate is somewhat cheap 
the acting, your acting can be deliberately wooden. You know, you've got your quip mechanics so you can just spout one-liners all the time uh, because you have no idea what else to say. And the thing is, doing rewards you in the game. Uh, you aren't rewarded for being a really smart detective who is trying to crack out, crack where Dracula is sleeping, but you are rewarded for coming up with a completely inappropriate one-liner and, you know, making everyone else at the table laugh. So, yeah, I, I think it's... Um, I I think any time you're trying to hit a certain tone and whether it's horror, comedy, romance, that's a very difficult one to evoke in role-playing games, although there are some very good role-playing games that do it. Blue Rose is a famous one. Monster Hearts often treads into that territory too. Um, and people love it. I, I love playing Monster Hearts. It's... It's difficult because you will have this tone in mind, but you can't prescribe to the reader how to play it. It's like uh, we can't tell the readers if they came from beneath sea what's funny uh, because different people have different tastes in comedy. But what we can do is provide them with the tools to evoke their own uh, I guess, preferred kind of humour or horror or whatever it happens to be. And that's something I aim to do with all the role-playing games I work on. I, I want players and story guides, storytellers, DMs, whatever we call them, to feel supported by the material, not just that, well, this is an interesting idea. What am I going to do with it now? How do you kind of bake that flexibility into the system um, that underpins the game? Because like you said, they are quite totally different so there must be like there's some flexibility in the system you use for the they came from games yeah well the, the core system at its base the uh, d10 story path system is perfectly utilitarian it does exactly what we need a movie emulation game to do and uh, it has lots of bolts and widgets that assist with that i mean uh, we have as i say quips we've got cinematics which do appear the, the cinematics and they came from are things like the set falls apart and you can run away from the monster or you can insert a missing reel just so your characters can appear somewhere else without explanation that sort of thing that exists as dramatic editing in trinity which is another game by next path that uses the story path system so what we what we do is just twist existing material we've got in our story path system sometimes add new stuff where nothing current will suit but often all we have to do is modify the existing system because it's very flexible as you say um to match that tone in the case of the they came from games with things like quips it's just a case of writing out quips that feel appropriate to the game to the genre uh, and one could argue that's the exact same thing for cinematics tropes stunts and the various other optional things you can throw in where we've really tried to sort of i guess hone in on on the, that system side is with games like classified and Cyclops's Cave, we started adding things like fiendish plots and um, and magic spells. Uh, so, for instance, in Classified, well, we already we still have Quip Deck, we still have cinematics, we also have these things like fiendish plots. So you can basically construct a story 
during the course of play by laying out these cards. You know, the villain is this, they're based here, and this is their objective. Boom, you've got a story. You can run and go, write a convention, you know, in a one-shot. Um, but you can also insert twists. Twists are another card mechanic we've got, which are, like the name implies, they are a sudden twist you put in the midway through the scenario. If you want, you don't have to. It's a bit fiasco-like. Because most uh, espionage movies have a twist, have a betrayal, a double agent or whatever. With uh, Cyclops' Cave, we run up against the interesting challenge of, well, how do we put a magic system in? Because this is fantasy movies. There are often sorcerers, warlocks, witches, and so on in these, in these movies. And we didn't want to invent a whole new system. We didn't want to use gifts from Trinity or the, the equivalent from Scion because uh, while we like them, it felt a little too mechanically dense for they came from. So what we did was we basically divided the cinematics into two. We've got cinematics that are still at their heart, cinematic effects that are applied at a sort of meta level. This happens to the movie. But some cinematics are styled as magical effects. They're basically stunts and special effects. So the cost of the magical cinematic goes up depending on the amount of pyro and makeup and rubber dolls and whatever else is needed for the purposes of that magical attack. So if you want to turn invisible, that's great. You know, that's a simple magical effect. It probably only costs you one rewrite to use it uh, because that's nothing in special effects terms. You just film an empty screen and put a voice over it. But if you want to do something like, uh, I guess, to go D&D, like a prismatic spray, uh, then you're going to be looking at a rather large, well, rather hefty cost to buy it because it's um, a big special effects. So we've basically made magical powers into, I guess, the fabric of the, this is a movie you're making, or this feels like a movie that you're in. Therefore, if you want to use the big explosive magical effects, you are going to need to save up your rewrites to pay them off. And I think it works really well. It's a again, it's a way of utilizing an existing system and just tweaking it slightly to make it fit the tone of that game. Yeah, and echoing the nature of the films and like you know, the the bigger the effect, the more rewrites and you know production costs. I mean, yeah, it, so yeah. it sounds similar in some cases to. Did you ever heard of Hakat Hong Kong Action Theater? It was like it was a '90s role playing game where you play, where you characters played actors in Hong Kong martial arts films. Mm. And uh, so rather than kind of, you know, playing a character in them, you played an actor in a series of films. So your character, your character could die and then it's come back in the next film. So, so and like the, it's like in the beneath them, do you actually play characters rather than playing actors. Would that be a fair summation? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's another game. It came from the Late 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 Show, uh, which is similar as well. Uh, I only found out about it after they came from Beneath the Sea. Otherwise, you probably would have come up with a different title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in they came from you are playing characters. Uh, now, what that means for the players is interesting because essentially the characters are, char are hapless characters stuck in this movie-like story. It's still a story, it's still a role-playing game with a beginning and end, um, but 
you, the players, are aware, of course, that this is emulating movie. Whether that makes you the actors or whether it makes you the producers because you start throwing rewrites and cinematics things, it's really, I guess, um, down to how you want to envision yourself. Uh, but what I found interesting, and this was just a little experiment, a few years ago I ran They Came From Beneath the Sea for the final folks of Red Moon Roleplaying. And uh, there's an actual play on their, on their website, redmoonroleplaying.com, of Beneath the Sea. And we decided we would play it just completely horror, that there would be very little comedy at all. It would just be a horror game set in the night, a horror movie set in the 1950s in the deep south of America, a very Lovecraftian feel to it uh, with Deep Ones, Gill Men, that kind of thing, and secrets under the town. And the characters were characters, but the players were great old ones. Okay. And, that, and basically, the characters were unknowingly the avatars for their great old one. And that meant instead of having quips, well, you had your normal quips of, you know, one-liners that could get you bonuses, but you also had a quip that would be a string of consonants in a sort of ya ya cthulhu time thing that you could spit out and the character would have to say, basically act like they had no idea what was going on. But this was the great old one channeling themselves through their avatar that was affecting the world. And it really, it, that meta play with They Came From always seems to work very, very well. If you could, if you invest in it, it's something I put in pretty much every They Came From book is metagaming is not a dirty word, in, especially in They Came From. We want you to play around with the world uh, and the supporting characters and the antagonists. You're not restricted to just being a, a character driven by plot. Uh, you are a character in a movie and ideally your character will end up in the trailer and may even get an award <laughs> for for their performance you never know yeah. okay um i mean like looking forward you've obviously got the came from um classified coming up on is it kickstarter next month uh, so I don't know if it'll be Kickstarter. It really depends on uh, where the chips fall, uh, but it will be on. It will be crowdfunded by some manner or means in the next. We're aiming for March. Okay. Um, and that will be. They came from Classified, and they came from the Cyclops's Cave. We're doing it as a double feature because Onyx Path. We did. Uh, I keep saying we, and I don't know if I've been clear. When I say we, I mean Onyx Path Publishing. Um, Last year, I think it may have been, we did a double Kickstarter for a Scion, Scion book, yes. uh, Masks of the Mythos and Scion Dragon. Two very different games in the Scion universe, but that we put them together and they did very, very well. And we thought it was worth doing that, partly because it would attract fans of the Mythos to a different game and fans of fantasy to the Mythos, perhaps. Uh, but, you know, it was also a way of hedging our bets. Now, with Classified and Cyclops' Cave, we can do the same thing. We've seen that experiment works. So we will put both of them up together. And, yeah, hopefully that will do well. And, and we will be calling, I think, a double feature like it would be, you know, you'd go and see a uh, probably a crappy fantasy movie, dub B movie, before your, uh, before your James Bond maybe starts. Before Moonraker, you'd watch some uh, maybe, I don't know, 
Let's go for a Hawk the Slayer. Why not? Hateful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean the, when I first heard of the came from Classified, my immediate thought was, are they doing sort of like 90s X-Files style horror? Ah, well, so there's, it's a really good idea. And this is the thing I always wrestle with, with They Came From, because I think at its heart, They Came From has a strong uh, heart of comedy. It needs to be a genre that can that can support comedy very well. As soon as you start looking at things that are broadly acclaimed, yep. both critically and widely as an entertainment, things like The X-Files, things like Lord of the Rings, things like, uh, I don't know, um, The Witcher, why not? Or Game of Thrones, you start struggling with the with the ability to parody it. You can do it, but you're going to appeal to a very narrow audience that are interested in that kind of parody. So uh, they came from classified leans more toward the kind of thing Austin Powers was parodying, uh, with the ridiculous gadgets and love interests and stunts and so on that exist in the spy movies of the time. Uh, the reason it's called They Came From Classified was simply because we couldn't think of a better name. Uh, and for and so as a project, uh, we called it They Came From Classified as, I guess, a placeholder. And then we realised, oh, actually, this really works. If we can do a sort of stamp on the front cover that says Classified, you don't know what the title's supposed to be. Uh, for a while, we had They Came From the Secret Volcano Lair, but it it became too Bond at that point and too Austin Powers. And we wanted it to encompass Bond, Austin Powers, the Avengers, Jason King, the champions, Man from Uncle, um, Hell, uh, Sapphire and Steel, all, all kinds of m movies and TV shows of that bent. And Classified wraps it up quite nicely as just espionage. I mean, you can even go John le Carre with it if you want. So uh, there's, there is content in there that very much supports that. Uh, but it yeah. runs the gamut. You mentioned John le Carre. What about, have you ever considered like Charlie Strauss's uh, Laundry Files books? Because there's like, it's like very Lovecraftian horror, but there's a strong vein of humour that runs through. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's very dark humour. And what I would be interested in seeing, uh, because we try and, whether they came from line, we're largely emulating movies and TV shows. And The Laundry is great. Uh, you know, a lot of people love it. Uh, I would be interested to see it translated into a televisual medium at some point, if it hasn't already been. Uh, I don't think it has. I wouldn't be surprised no. if something is in production, because it's, it's there's been, been a big... There's been rumours and mm. allusions by Charlie um about possibilities of it but nothing concrete has ever come to pass yeah but also there's already a laundry role-playing game that is true so yeah. so we wouldn't uh we wouldn't want to emulate one specific part of a genre i think that's that's important uh um, i mean for a while uh we were thinking of doing western uh because westerns are good for parody as blazing saddles shows yeah. but it and even carry on cowboy but you can actually that you can't find that many successful comedy westerns yeah and so that one of the problems we have uh, and i know we need, do need to wrap up soon uh with a genre like westerns is they have a thick seam of racism in them 
not it's not always obvious, but almost every single protagonist is white and male. Almost every single woman is helpless or a or a madam of a brothel. Um, almost, in all the, the Western movies prior to Clint Eastwood, the villains tended to be either train robbers or natives. And so it's when you start getting to the native territory, oh, okay, so this is a bit of an issue. And often Mexicans or other Latin American individuals who appeared in these movies tended to be bandits. And so you get a very clear vision of what Westerns were, and you can think, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, What I will do with my game is I'll ignore all of that, and I'll actually say, my, you know, just like in real life, there's a lot of black American cowboys. And so the one we illustrate on the front cover is going to be like that. And uh, and we will have a native for this particular arc- playable archetype. But the issue then isn't that would make a bad game because it wouldn't. Haunted West is an excellent role-playing game that does just that thing. It basically says, to hell with all the racism, let's make a good Western game that is actually true to the Western spirit. Uh, but what we would find ourselves doing if we started, I guess, making a game that was more authentic and less like the movies is we would no longer be making a They Came From game because They Came From games are supposed to be like the movies. And so rather than make a game that isn't a They Came From game or make a game that um, is racist because it is basically a John Wayne or Gary Cooper Western, uh, completely like it, it's better to just find a genre that isn't quite as troublesome. And we might revisit it uh, in a small way in a a future book, Um, maybe a source book, but yeah, I think... Westerns can't support a core book, in my view, but I I remain to be convinced otherwise. Okay, one final question. And what does the future hold for the Came From range? Because obviously we've got the the Came From uh, Classified uh, being, not kickstarted, um, crowdfunded next month, fingers crossed. Yeah. Anything else planned? Well, yes. So, so yeah, as mentioned, there's classified the Cyclops' Cave. Uh, There will be Camp Murder Lake, which should be released directly to drive through RPG. Uh, We won't be doing crowdfunding for that, uh, but I have a feeling it will do quite well because we will like 80s slasher movies. And from there, we kind of need to judge how well they came from as doing as a line. I think having five big books, four of them are core books, is a decent way to judge this kind of thing. Uh, and I mean, not to um, say that it's ga- definitely going to happen, but let, let's imagine it's a possibility. After a game line has had that many books, and Trinity is going on, and Scion's going on, uh, they've all been using the story path system. They will have all been out, some of them, for close to, I guess, somewhere between five and ten years by that point. So we would then need to start looking at the system and thinking, okay, is there a way of innovating the story path system more? And then you start thinking of new additions, um, which are always a good thing for role-playing game companies to do because that's a way of attracting new customers. Um, So... I'm in a wait and see mode. If these games do spectacularly well, I think I could well see us doing a 
book of multiple genres, which has noir and musicals and maybe westerns and other such genres that you might want to be able to lightly mock in role-playing games. And we could do that like a Dark Eras compendium that we do for Chronicles of Darkness. But I'm quite prepared to just wait and see right now how these two do in crowdfunding and then go from there. That's excellent. Thank you very much, Matthew Dawkins. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And I have been Peter Allison saying thank you and goodbye.